Amen. Go ahead and be seated, church. So good to be with you guys. Again, my name's Chris. I'm a pastor in Omaha. And uh, man, this is, this is awesome to be in this room, to see you guys. Um, again, open up your Bibles if you got one. John chapter 6, um, we're going to be there all day. Uh, we're going to be looking at the I am statement that Jesus has, has said, I am the bread of life. So that's where we're going. Uh, if you follow Jesus through the Gospels at any point, you know he made these seven I am statements. I'm the door. I'm the way, the truth, and life. I'm the resurrection of life. I'm the light of the world. Uh, I'm the bread of life. I'm, uh, and so he's made these statements to really help us understand who is he and what does he come to accomplish and do for us and then how how do we uniquely find our joy and our rest and our hope in him? Uh, before we go there, though, before we get into this text and look at uh, this statement of Jesus, I just want to say I love this church. Uh, as Austin talked about, uh, I've got to watch him and Kristen get married and become, uh, you become a husband and a father, and I've got to see you go from like a worship intern to this lead pastor to this church planner. It's been a joy. And when I think of this church, oh my goodness, guys, this is a miracle. Like you guys started as a small prayer group in a living room, and now there's like 7,000 human beings in this room. Like we are breaking every fire hazard in the city of Lincoln today. This is phenomenal for the glory of God. And uh, you, you think it didn't just go small to big, right? Like that's not just the story of what God's done here in Lincoln is small to big. It, it's so much more than that. There's been this multiplicative thing where you guys are a church that is trusting that God can use you. Like I think about your vision as a church, how you're sending missionaries to the nations, but also reaching the next generation of college kids right here in Lincoln. That, that is Awesome, both in yes and amen. Uh, Hebrews says it's impossible to please God apart from faith, okay? So how do you have a pleasing life before the Lord? You have faith in the Son, Jesus Christ. But the posture of faith should mark our lives, the posture of trusting him, even in hard seasons to shape our church, even through some of the pain and suffering that you guys are walking through, you're doing that. And you're singing your way through the storm and you're sending out pastors and you're giving your best away. So I just wanna say, I love this church, love the posture of faith that you have. And I'm so excited to be here with you guys. So um, uh, I, I wanna jump in by asking you guys this question. So have you ever had a meal where you've eaten so much food, like you've eaten so much food that you are like absolutely stuffed and you've convinced yourself that you won't have to eat for the next few days. Have you ever had a meal where you're like your skinny, your fat pants start to feel like skinny jeans? Have you had that? Like it's Thanksgiving, you're like, man, these are supposed to be my stretchy pants. And they've been done stretched to max capacity. We have found that point, okay? Uh, I had one of those places recently. Um, my wife uh, celebrated her birthday last month, and my wife and I have been married 15 years. We have four kids. Uh, it's been an amazing ride that she would stay married to me as my hair recedes. And so um, so grateful for her grace and thankful for a covenant. So young men, put a ring on it before you lose your hair. It does not get better for you. It does not get better for you. Like you need to capitalize on this moment, I promise you, all right? It's not gonna get better. You just need to put a ring on it. She'll stay with you, all right? So... So uh, I feel crazy indebted to my wife. Um, you know, we planted a church, which is mildly stressful, and most of them fail. And so it was a risky thing to ask for her to jump into. Anyways, so I love my wife. So we went all in for her birthday dinner. You know, I took her out that weekend, I celebrated her. But I also wanted to teach, like, the kids how to celebrate mom. So I was like, we're going to grill. So we started the pregame dinner with, like, the charcuterie board. Have you guys ever you seen those, like, the meat and the crackers? I always get nervous saying charcuterie in front of people. I feel like I'm swearing. You know what I mean? Like, I, it, is that? 
what? On the line. Like, could it go bad? Anyways, I love, I've, I've discovered the charcuterie board, and it's amazing. And so we are chopping up, you know, cheeses and crackers and doing the whole thing and the meats, and we're just eating all the things. And then, uh, and then it came time for dinner, and uh, I went to Costco, and, like, you know, they have, like, the thin one-inch steaks and then, like, the two-inch. I went, like, hey that's my boo. We going three inch steaks. You know what I mean? Like we going all in. So I got like these three inch steaks that take like a half hour to grill. And then, uh, I don't know where Brussels sprouts were hiding for like the first 20, 30 years of my life, but I've discovered them and I'm never going back to life apart from Brussels sprouts. Can we just say yes and amen? Shout out Brussels sprouts. Um, so, so just had the biggest bag of Brussels sprouts, grilled them all up. And, you know, you got to hit the bacon on them, all the oil. It's unbelievable. So we did that. We did sweet potatoes, and there's, like, this bread you can get that, like, tastes like the bread from, like, uh, Cheesecake Factory. So good. Oh, my gosh. All of it in my body. So we did that. And then we got around the table, and we prayed. And then, you know, I called out greatness in my wife and, and had the kids, like, you know, talk about what they love about mom and appreciate about her life. And so it was a great meal. And then, you know, typical mom, you know, like, after the dinner, she's like, I'm going to make my own birthday dessert. So she gets up and makes like this pound, uh, a pan of uh, s'mores brownies. So it's like, it's like cookie crumble. I don't know. She like made this crust and then the brownies and then like the s'more on top. And, you know, I kind of saw this pan. There's like, you know, we have four kids, but they're small. They're little people, you know? I'm like, there's going to be leftovers. There's going to have to be leftovers. There's literally no way. There's no leftovers. We sat at that table and ate the whole pan. You're laughing. I think it was sin. I'm pretty sure it's gluttony, but I don't know. I'm not going to, I don't know where the rule book, I don't know where the line is, you know, but all I know is that it was going great until I stood up. Have you had that moment? You're like, oh my gosh, I am pregnant with a nine month old baby right here. Like whatever there's like all of that food is sitting on my liver and I can't, I can't even breathe. I don't know where the liver is. It's somewhere in this area. Something about the lungs. It's not, nothing's expanding. I, there's no room right now. And, uh, and so that was the moment where I was so full. And in those moments where you guys have hit like that point, does more steak sound good? No, it sounds like sandpaper. There's nothing about it you want to put in your body because you're like so full. You're, you're done. And, and so I thought to myself, man, that, I am so full. I'm over food forever. Like I'm not eating tomorrow. I'm going to fast for the glory of God. And because I just need to fast. Let's just be honest. Like, you need to just let some things clear out, okay? Um, and, and so I was like, man, this is ridiculous. I'll never be hungry again. I am so full. I can't even look at food. And then I woke up the next morning and was like, honestly, a breakfast burrito sounds amazing. Like, literally, <laughs> probably need to do that. Um, and, and so uh, I, I don't know if you've been there, but, but that's kind of where we are in our text. Like, um, Jesus has just fed 5,000 people. Uh, he was preaching. The disciples were like, Jesus, you're going really long in this sermon. Like, you need to send these people away so they can go get dinner. He's like, no, this is a teaching opportunity. This is a moment to show grace and, it, and show the kingdom of God that you get more than you deserve. So we're going to feed them freely. So he feeds the 5,000, and he gives them mercy. He doesn't send them away. He acts hospitable towards them, and he, he performs this incredible miracle where he takes two fish and five loaves of bread, and he literally feeds a, a massive crowd of people. Well, that crowd of people is now waking up the next day and they're like, Jesus, hey, you are the miracle working chef. Like you are unbelievable. Dinner was phenomenal last night. Like do the next thing. We're still hungry. And so Jesus is gonna say, oh, no, no, no. This is another one of those teachable moments, okay? Where um, you receive the bread, you've eaten your fill, you're hungry again, but let me just tell you, I'm not here just to keep feeding you food. I'm actually here to do a greater work for you. Because although you have these physical hungers, believe it or not, your soul has this hunger. And you don't know what to do with this soul level spiritual hunger. And that's why I've actually come 
And isn't it true, church? Like, I don't know about you, but as, as a Christian, I have felt full in the gospel of Jesus Christ before. Like, I felt like me and God are near, and then it, he can feel really far. Have you ever felt like, man, I'm hearing the voice of the Lord, and then you're like, man, it's been a long time before I've heard a fresh word from the scriptures. I feel like I'm reading it, but I'm just not hearing anything. Uh, there's been times where I'm ready to sing and dance and delight in the Lord, and there's times where I come into churches like this, and I'm like, honestly, I just don't feel like singing. And, and is it not true that we have these spiritual hungers that we can move from full to empty really quickly? And I wonder if you've ever uh, noticed how you can get spiritually hungry in your life. I wonder if you've been in a place where you've noticed that every day you're asking the same couple questions. Who am I? Do I have value? What's my purpose? Am I loved? What do I do with this sense of guilt and shame? Where do I go to feel whole? Where can I find rest? Where's peace? Where do I go to feel known and accepted? And I think with all of these deep level hungers, we're going to go somewhere. And so I think sometimes we just eat too much. We work too much, we sleep too much, we drink too much, we post too much, we study too much, we scroll too much, we think about what others think about us too much. And these hungers that are here, right, they're going to drive you somewhere. Like C.S. Lewis, um, this great writer and theologian, he said this, I've yet to find a cup of tea or a, a cup of tea deep enough or a book long enough to satisfy me. Like he's drank all the best teas, he's read all the best books, and he's like, I'm still hungry. And so where do we go with it? I think we end up going a lot of places. Like, do we not go to social media and say, hey, listen, would you in social media just affirm me, just clap for me, like me? Has, has anybody else like posted something and then like been addicted to your phone for the next 24 hours because you're just going back to see what everybody else does with your post? Nobody else does that. You're super content. You're like, I'm a free creature. Don't even matter what the haters say, right? <laughs> just haters, you know, right? Right? But this is where we go. And then we go to Netflix and we're like, man, I, this life is crazy stressful. Like, just entertain me for a little bit, please. Right? Just entertain me for a little bit. Help me to escape my realities for a little while. We go to our friends and say, please affirm me. Please accept me. Please love me. We go to class and we turn it into an arena to perform so that some parent or some professor will think highly of us. Right? This is the hunger we have and we take these hungers to different places. So we jump in. I just want to be asking real question, like some of you guys are church kids, you grew up, you know these sermons, you probably sang some Christian camp song about it, I don't know, you know, but, but I wonder, would you not just theologically say, yeah, 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 I believe that Jesus is the bread of life, but have you been experiencing him as the bread of life? Like this week, where did you go with all those hungers? Did you go to Jesus or did you go to something lesser? Like it, it's one thing to say, I theologically believe this, Chris, there's nothing here new for me to learn. It's a whole other thing to evaluate. Where am I running? What am I beholding, as Austin said? Where am I trying to eat that meal? Am I filling up with the junk food of this world, hoping that it will satisfy it, or have I sat at the table of grace and received fresh bread from Jesus recently? So that's where I want to go. I want to show you guys three things about Jesus being the bread of life. What does that mean for us today, okay? Um, and I, I know where you've been. You guys have been to Romans 8. You're going to James. So this is kind of just a one-off week where it's just, um, I just wanted when I come here to, to not steer the direction of your church but what I do want to do is just say, could we just lift up Jesus today? And so if you're like, man, this is, this is going to inspire me to go do something. No, I just want, this is for you. This is for you. This is a meal for you today to come and see Jesus. So I want to show you three things. The first thing is this is Jesus is the bread of life who's offering more 
not less to you. More, not less to you. Okay, so again, in this context, you got 5,000 hungry people. They're running Jesus down after he traveled, uh, and they're trying to figure out, can I get the free lunch program again? He says, I'm actually coming to give you more than breakfast, okay? Look at verse 25. He says, when they found, out, uh, they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, this teacher, uh, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. So he calls them out and he warns them. He first calls them out and I said, listen, you're not here to worship me. You're not here to repent of your sins and believe in me. You are not here to grow spiritually. You are not here to learn from my words. You're only here because you want another free meal. That's what's driving you. And that tells you that you don't totally understand who this person, Jesus Christ, is. You're making him a chef, not a savior. And then he warns them. He says, all you're doing is you're doing all of this work. He says, verse 27, do not do the work that, for food that just perishes. He's saying, you did all this. You woke up. And your first thought was, I'm hungry. Where do I go to get life and food and nourishment? How do I escape this hunger? And so you thought to myself, I'll go follow Jesus. I'll go run after him. And then I'll ask him for food. And then I'll eat that food. Well, what am I going to do after I eat that food? I'm going to get hungry. And I'm just going to keep doing that work. And most of these people's lives was this simple, simple cycle, right? I'm hungry, got to go to work, got to get a job, got to get wages, got to spend those wages to get food so I can escape hunger and survive. And then it starts all over it's the same cycle of work. So here's their response. He says, Jesus says, by the way, I've got a better bread for you. Not a temporary bread, an eternal bread. Not a bread you got to work for, a bread that you can receive. I want to give it to you. So here's their response. Verse 28, he says, they said to him, what must we do? This is the crowd. What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent so they're picking up on this theme of work, right? Like Jesus, Jesus just warned them, you guys are doing the wrong kind of work, right? And, and so they say, Jesus, what is the right kind of work? What do we have to do? What do we have to be doing to get this bread and to do the work that you would require? And by the way, isn't this the question we've all already asked ourselves? Like, what do I have to do, God? What do I have to do? Has anybody else blown it in your life? You feel guilt and you feel shame and you're wondering, how do I be clean? How am I made right? How, how am I actually before you not gonna be weighted down with guilt and shame? What do I have to do? Do I have to shower again? Do I have to tell somebody about this thing? Do I have to go a certain amount of weeks about not doing the thing that I've been doing? What, what do I have to do to get better? I wonder how many of you guys have ever asked this question. Like, you just feel exhausted. You've sung the songs. You come to the church. You check the box. You volunteered. You did the thing. You're pouring your life out. You're very busy as a Christian. You're trying to help everybody else around you, and yet you still feel like the Father is mildly disappointed in you, and you're wondering, what do I have to really do? What do I have to really do? And I think the reason that we keep coming back to this question, this question in verse 28 is, like, the primary posture in the flesh. This is, our, this is religion, Okay? And I think that he's, they're asking the question of, what do I have to achieve before I receive? And that is the way that you have been trained to operate in our performance-based world in every other arena of your life. So just think about it. In the classroom, uh, I don't know about you guys, but I never got an A on the first day. 
there's usually like a things you have to do. You get a syllabus like, hey, this is all the stuff you have to do, okay? Do you guys remember you have to read the syllabus? I didn't know that. So I was put on probation as a freshman because like I guess you didn't, I guess you have to read the syllabus because they don't tell you. There's a test coming up on Friday. They just said, oh, yeah, I gave you the packet. Okay, nobody, I'm glad you guys are all really good at school. Um, there's hope for people like me, so... Um, but really, th- this is the right, th- this is how it works in school. Like, you have to take the class, you got to buy the books, you got to show up, you got to write the report, you got to pass the test, and then you get the, de- the, the actual grade. Then you get the degree. Then you get the job, right? I don't know about you, but if I go to work, I never get paid at 8 a.m. Like, you have to do the work, clock in, do the shift, and then you get your paycheck at the end. When your friends ask you to move, do they order the pizza right away or after you move their couch up four floors? Right? Yeah. That's the fun season of life. We're all moving again to a new apartment. Why? It's the same apartment that you had at the last place. Or just burn your couch and get a new one. I don't care. I have a grumbling spirit when it comes to moving people. You can pick that up. So all that to say is that's how it works, right? You've got, this is how it works in our lives. Even if you're relationships, like, can I just call this out? Like some of you guys are young and you're trying to date. Like, do you not buy into this lie? Like, I got to keep my best out there. I got to smile probably got to brush my teeth, got to iron my shirt today, right? Like, because you have to, some ways, you feel like you've got to perform before it goes somewhere. You've got to impress. And this is how it works in every arena of your life, and even how it works in every other world religion. Like, if you want to know the, the primary premise of every other world religion that maybe you've been exposed to or studied is simply this. There's a powerful God, a creator God, a distant God, or whatever kind of God, and there's humanity, and there's creation, and we've got to somehow bridge the gap between a powerful creator, strong, eternal God, and us, and the only way to bridge the gap is to do, right? To achieve, to, to merit, to obey, to get better, Right? And the, the lie is, if at the very end you've done enough, you've performed, you've been doing the works of God, then maybe, just maybe, just maybe you will be accepted by him and received. Right? But this leads you to two places. Have you ever followed out where religion takes you? I'm a Christian. I love Jesus Christ. And I absolutely hate man-centered religion. I hate it. You know why I hate man-centered religion? Because it robs you from the joy that Jesus Christ has from you. Religion will take you in one of two places. It will not just make you a cute, nice, moral, kind person. It will take you to a place of absolute spiritual depression because you realize that God's standards are higher than your ability to meet them. And your best will never be enough. Or what you'll do is this really fun strategy, and I see this happen all the time, where you lower the requirements of God's laws and you maximize your very best to act like you are gonna make the cut. And you walk around with spiritual pride and self-righteousness, and you think that you are a gift to the kingdom of God or to whatever deity you're trying to worship because you're awesome and everybody else isn't. And I don't know if you've seen Jesus in the scriptures, but he's way harder on the Pharisees than he is the prostitute. There's a posture of self-righteousness that doesn't work in a kingdom that's predicated on mercy and grace. And so what happens is these guys are asking the question, what must we do? What are the works that we've got to be doing? And he says, no, 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 you're asking the wrong question. You're asking about your behaviors and, what, and how do we need to change at that level? He says, no, 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 before you change your behaviors, you've got to change what you believe. That's your problem. You don't have a behavior problem. You've got a belief problem. He says the kingdom of God starts by believing in the personal work of Jesus Christ. And you say, wow, 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 okay, that, that seems so easy. Like, that seems way easier than having to go to work and perform and obey the rules and build a spiritual resume. That seems too easy. Let me just tell you, believing some things that the Bible has to say about you is actually crazy hard. Crazy hard. 
what it's going to call you to believe is that you're not awesome. <laughs> that you are, Ephesians chapter 2 would say, a child of wrath. Like, before God broke in, you were spiritually dead, not just spiritually broken. You had no hope. You were a sinner, and your spiritual hunger caused you not just to, call, to worship creation, uh, your creator, but to worship creation. It's called idolatry. It's called sin. It's deserving of death, wrath, hell, eternal separation from him. That's hard to believe. Can we say that? Like, I don't like to believe that. I like to believe that I'm an okay human being. But before a holy God, I'm lacking. It's hard to believe. It's humbling. And then the great news that we believe is this, that it's not, it's not on us to make ourselves move from death to life, from bad to good. The great news for the Christian is that we get to believe in Jesus, that he's God, that he came down from heaven to earth. He obeyed all of God's laws ways and, uh, perfectly in ways that we couldn't, that he died the death that we deserve on that cross, paying the penalty for our sin. This Jesus is not just a dead historic figure or moral example, but he's a, risen, a resurrected savior who's alive today, that he broke out of his own tomb, that he came back to life, that he ascended into heaven. The only difference between Christians and not Christians are not people who obey rules or break rules, it's people who believe in this person, Jesus Christ. Amen? I'm, I'm hoping I'm getting some amens out of Jesus' people right now. Because this is great news for people like me. This is great news for people like me. If it was about doing the works of God, I had no hope. If it's about believing in the perfect Savior who did all the heavy lifting for me, there's hope. Amen? So, some of you guys are like, that's so great, Chris. I'm so glad I brought my non-Christian friend today. This is such a great message for them. They, they need to believe in Jesus and get saved. And I'm just telling you, if you're not yet a Christian, you've been playing religious games with God, yes, that is an application. Believe today in the personal work of Jesus Christ. But I would say, Jesus' first sermon in the book of Mark was very short and very simple. He says, repent and believe. And I want you to know, Christian, that's not just how you start your relationship with God. That becomes the pattern of your relationship with God. That's not just the means of salvation that you would repent and believe in the personal work of Jesus Christ. That's actually the means of your sanctification. How you're gonna grow in your Christ-likeness is repenting of sin and believing more deeply in the personal work of Jesus Christ. We never move on from believing in this beautiful Savior, Jesus. So here's what I mean. You're like, okay, that, that sounds good. Let me just show you how it applies to my life right now. I'm almost 40 years old, been a Christian for about 20 years of my life. And I just want to confess to you that uh, I, I can be incredibly insecure, an incredibly insecure person. I can have this little um, needy soul on the inside that looks for affirmation and acceptance in the eyes of other people. And at my worst, I can turn moments like this into a crowd to oppress so that I can get affirmation and applause. You know what that is? That's a glory thief. That's idolatry of self. That is the snare of man, the fear of man. That's not okay. Now, what do I need to do? Th this hunger for affirmation and approval and this insecurity that's in me, do you know what it makes me do? All kinds of weird stuff. Do you guys, do you guys understand sin makes you weird? Like, I'll legitimately wear a hat when I go to Salt Company because I don't want you to see my receding hairline. Has anybody like tried on a shirt and be like, oh my gosh, my love handles. Ooh, that one's not a good one. Let me get a different shirt on. Let me get a different shirt. Nobody else? And then you look at the floor, you got nine shirts on. Why, why are there nine shirts on the floor, right? Because I'm so worried about how I'm gonna look, right? What are they gonna say about me? And you're not worried about what you're gonna say about me because you're worried about what I'm gonna say about you. 
So all this, it makes me so weird. It's like I already confessed to you guys, the social media thing. Like I can show pictures that make you think that I'm better than I really am, right? It's called image management because I'm trying to control how you view me. So what's the cure? More Facebook likes, more Instagram hearts, maybe just like work out a little bit, control how I look, a little more vanity, sprinkle that on. Maybe a bigger church. I just need more people in the crowd to be clapping. No. You know what I need? I need to believe the gospel. I need to repent of my sin, and I need to believe that I am fully approved of, not because I'm awesome, but even because I'm broken, because I have union with Christ Jesus and covered by the righteousness of Christ Jesus. All of his perfection is now imputed on me. God the Father sees that. He's made me his son, not just his servant. And so Zephaniah chapter three would say that the father looks at me and delights in me and sings over me like a father sings over his child. So what did I do there? I turned my attention from what you think about me vertically to how the father feels about me and that frees me to not care about what you think about me. See what I mean? So what I need to do is not just get a new arena to improve or, 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 or a new crowd to impress. What I need to do is to believe the gospel. That's where freedom happens. But I'm telling you, if you don't believe the gospel, if the only gospel you believe in is I get out of hell and I get into heaven someday, then there is a lot of functional places of slavery that you'll be. What about the person who hears today and you just blew it in the last week? You compromised with your girlfriend. You looked at that thing on the website. You drank a little bit more than you told yourself to. You told yourself, this is the week I'm gonna start reading my Bible and another week went by and you didn't pick it up. You have sins both of commission and omission. You're doing the things you're not supposed to be doing. You're not doing the things that God has called you to do. And you're sitting there saying, I feel broken, heavy, shameful, guilty, dirty. What do you do? Well, this is the week you get better, guys. This is the, try harder. You got a fresh clock, baby, a new shot clock, all right? No, what you get to do is believe the gospels for you right now, that you are still a new creation in Christ Jesus, that our God has thrown your sin as far as the east is to the west, that your best is, or your worst is covered by his best. That's what you need. You need the gospel to set you free from you looking at you so you start looking at him. That's our hope, amen? Man, we never move beyond the gospel. Would we never move? Because I believe what you're looking for, right? The thing that you're hungry for, the, the, the righteousness, the justification, the right standing, the sonship, it's all found in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ. We never take our eyes off of him. We keep believing in him. I wanted to show you that Jesus comes to offer more, not less. The second thing I want to show you is Jesus is the bread of life that you can experience now, not just later. It's a right now kind of thing, not just a later thing. Let me show you this, verse 30. So, so then, uh, so they said to him, what, uh, then what sign do you do? Uh, what, uh, that we may see and believe you. What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he. Look at the bread of God. What is it? It is he who comes, who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us 
this bread. So this crowd is saying, hey, hey, we want to believe. You keep talking about the work, the works to believe. The problem is we can't believe because we need a miracle. <laughs> and, and remember, Moses did miracles. We believed in Moses. Moses was, a, was a, a, a person of great power. And so, by the way, Jesus, Moses performed this miracle for 40 years. 40 years in the desert, he delivered God's people out of Egypt. They were slaves. He led them into the wilderness and into the desert. There's no food in the desert, right? The desert's where you go to die, not have an amazing meal. And so the, the, the people of God were like, hey, we need to go back over there. There was at least food back there. And, and God met his people in the midst of the desert and provided miraculously for them. They would wake up and there would be fresh manna on the ground. There was like this Captain Crunch flat, uh, uh, Frosted Flakes bread that they just got to smash. And then at night, they were grumbling about meat pots, so he gave them quail. I mean, it's amazing. This is the provision of our God. And so they're like, by the way, if Moses did this for 40 years, Jesus, can you just get back-to-back meals? Can we just do the two, two days in a row thing? Could, is that beyond you? And, and he's saying, no, 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 no. It, it's not just about a meal that came down. It's about the bread of life that has come down. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And then verse 37, 47, he says this, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. I am the living bread that came down uh, from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life, uh, for the life of this world is my flesh. Jesus is saying, you keep coming to me asking for something, but I am the thing that you really need. I am the thing that you really need. So it's so easy. I don't know if you guys have ever, ever read your Bible and like you read the Old Testament. And have you ever just like made fun of people in your head? Maybe that's not a very biblical thought, but like sometimes I read like um, the story of the Israelites and I'm like, golly, you guys, seriously, you're being led by a cloud of fire. You're being led by God. Why are you freaking out with anxiety, right? Like God has just broken you out and shown that he's faithful with these 10 plagues and you're worried about your protein count. Like that's the people of God. Have you ever seen their grumbling? It's unbelievable. And then you go to the New Testament and you're like, gosh, these disciples, I mean, they're still talking about which one of them is the greatest, operating in so much insecurity and self-focus, and they're in the presence of Jesus, right? Like, have you ever been there in that place where you just, you can see their brokenness? And now in this text, like, you see, you see these people, they keep coming to Jesus, they keep coming to Jesus, right? And they're asking him for a breakfast burrito. They want his stuff, they don't want him. They want his gifts, they don't want the gift giver, Right? And by the way, th this is still possible in our own hearts to try to come to Jesus, not for Jesus, but for the things that Jesus can give you and take into its extremes. It's called the prosperity gospel. And it says, God, this is what I really want from you. I want my hair back. I want abs until I'm 90. I want white teeth, a wife who only claps for me, a boss who only promotes me, kids that are significantly more athletic than Austin's children. <laughs> right? Uh, this is what I want. I, I want you to bless. I want you to meet. I want you to give me health and wealth and all the things. And that's what these guys are doing. Jesus, you can do it. Give me all the things. But church, I want to ask you, what is the greatest thing that God can give you? God. That's the greatest thing that he can give you. That's what he's saying. Jesus is saying, I am not just your gift giver, your miracle worker. I am your bread of life. If you have me, you have everything. If you don't have me, you have nothing. Have, you not figured, have we not figured this out? That you can have all of the comforts of this world and still be so hungry. 
Have you not found yourself looking at a beach in, in the perfect circumstances of your life? Like, oh my goodness, I am so blessed, and yet I'm still lonely. Have you not ever been on a vacation and still had to open up your Bible because you're hungry for the word of God? I have. There's no place that gives your soul this level of satisfaction, right? Jesus is saying, I have come down from heaven, this language down from heaven, because you are never going to be able to work your way up from earth to heaven on your own merits and your own works. He's saying, I'm here because you're weary, you're hungry, you're insecure, you're guilt-ridden, your tired soul can't find rest and life apart from me. I'm here to give you all of that. If you have Christ Jesus, you have had a reconciled relationship with the Father. Scripture says you have every spiritual blessing in him. His spirit's in you. And you don't just get what he gives you. You get him, which I'm telling you is awesome. Because in this text, he says, if you have me, you will never hunger. You will never thirst. And is it not true that the gospel has a unique way of filling our weary souls? Because we no longer have to wonder, Jesus, is your grace sufficient for that thing? Am I loved right now? Do you have a plan and a purpose for me? Where am I and whose uh, am I and where am I heading? All of those questions have been answered in Christ. Guys, I can't imagine walking through this side of eternity apart from him. Can I just tell you that? Like, I don't know about you and what your story is, but I was 18 years old. Dad left. I was bitter, Right? Um, I had a dad who left our family, filled with unforgiveness, poison in my soul. Only Jesus Christ forgave me, a sinner, and empowered me to forgive him. I'm a free creature because of him. I could go on and on and on. But do I hunger and thirst at times? Absolutely. But has the gospel filled me in a unique way right now? Yes. He's saying, where does that feeling come? Where, do you, where does all of your hunger get met? It's in this person, this bread of life, Jesus Christ. So, so if Jesus is the bread of life that satisfies, can I just ask, why is there so many times that Christians, we feel empty and tired? Why do we have to, what do we have to do to actually experience this bread of life right now? He says in our text, he only called, calls us to do two things, right? He says, whoever comes shall not hunger, and anyone who eats, they will live. Like, you, you can think, let me, let me put it like this. If I had a bread of, of up here today with you guys, I, I could say there's so many things we can do with a loaf of bread. We could play catch with the loaf of bread. We could smell the loaf of bread. We could make an Instagram story about how eating bread is really, really good for you and actually can create nutrition and, and calories that you actually need. Uh, we, could, we could write a song like about bread, right? Could we just maybe make a little jingle? Bread, 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 and lots and lots of bread. You guys remember that one? God's big, big house. Lots and lots of rooms. See what I did there? It's an amazing song. Unbelievable. Just such a gift, I'm telling you. Uh, Christian music, yeah. You get Jesus and Caleb, all right, forever. So uh, there's so many things we can do with bread, right? Like there's a million opportunities to do things with bread. We could light on fire, we could smell it, we could write a song about it, we could make an Instagram story, we could do a lot of things with bread. Do you know what you need to do for that bread to actually unlock powers? You have to, you have to receive it, you have to eat it. Like you have to literally take it, put it in your mouth, and eat it. And what Jesus is saying is like, in the same way, in this context, that you would die because bread is indispensable. It was, it was an actual part of your life. If you didn't eat bread, you would die. Jesus is saying, you have to take something outside of you and put it inside of you. And for the Christian, we know what that means. It means that we had to receive Jesus, believe in Jesus. And it's not just out there, some theological 
figure that we believe in and affirm because doctrinally we affirm the Bible is true. He, he comes inside of us and gives us new life. It's an intimate thing. It's an indispensable thing that Jesus has moved towards us. And I love the way that he says this. He says, I'm not just giving you a meal. He said, I'm going to give my very flesh for you. So what do you have to believe about Jesus? What do you have to come back to over and over again? That Jesus Christ is the bread of life. And it says that he, in his flesh, took on the penalty of the cross, took on the penalty for our sin, absorbed the wrath of God that we deserve because of our rebellion. That's really good news. Church, we always, always, always come back to this. I know City Light Lincoln loves Jesus because Austin is one of those guys that you can't, he literally, I think, has like all the Jesus tattoos. Like he's all in. He's marked up. He sings songs. He's about that life. Austin is a guy that you squeeze and Jesus Christ is gonna come out of that man. He's got a verse everywhere. He's, he, he loves Jesus. And I know this church lifts up Jesus, loves to sing about Jesus. But church, I just wanna say, would we never move past this Jesus? You're like, Chris, man, this seems so basic, but this is Christianity. You never move beyond this meal. You keep coming back to, coming back to, coming back to, coming back to, and receiving fresh bread for your weary soul. We never move past him. And what I wanna say I enjoy so much about this church is you guys don't just enjoy and eat and receive Jesus Christ. You guys show and share this living bread with other people in your campus, in your city, to the nations, you guys are serving and sharing this bread of life and the hope that we have in him with others. Third thing I wanna show you guys is the final thing. Jesus is the bread of life that won't leave you or lose you, okay? Look at, look at these final verses, verse 37. All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whomever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should not lose all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of uh, my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is such, like, I don't know if you guys have been to, like, a fireworks display, and at the very end, there is just, like, this massive final ending where it's just, like, boom, 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 and it's, like, lighting up the sky. That's this verse. Can I just give you guys three observations? Like, just a little Bible study. Don't worry, we're gonna get out of here. You're gonna have lunch in a little bit, okay? But I just wanna give you guys three observations from this real quick text. Verse 37 says, I will never cast you out. I will never cast you out. You should circle that. You should hold on to that promise. I don't know about you, but I was, I was like in high school, a professional distractor in the classroom. Did anybody, do you guys have that person that was always making jokes, throwing things, flirting with somebody, doing everything you could to get the like, teacher off basis? Why? Because there was no test if there was no learning, okay? So I regularly got thrown out of the classroom. Anybody else? Nobody? I, I made so many friends in the hall. I lived in the hallway. That's where I lived, okay? Me and the janitor always got along. So I got thrown out of class. I remember in practice, like I'd play basketball, and, and the coach loved defense. I hate defense in basketball. Do you know what defense requires you to do? Bend your knees, and I don't know if you've been in this position, but your thighs really start hurting. And I hated that he made me stand in that position for 45 minutes. So I regularly let him know that. And you know what would happen? Out. Just out. Okay? And I got thrown out of practice. So this is really, 
a long season of my life, I got very good at getting thrown out of things. You know what I love about Jesus Christ? He does not cast you out. I can come to him with my addictions, my doubts, my fears, my brokenness, and Jesus Christ has never cast me out of his family. He holds on to me in his righteous right hand. Church, this is really great news for you. On your best days, you might feel like you earned your way in, but on your worst days, you'll feel like you're ready to get thrown out until you come back to this promise. He's not casting you out, church. And then it says this, I should not lose nothing. I will not lose anyone. Basically, in verse 39, he says, I should not lose any of them that the Father gave to me. So um, another one of my gifts is just losing stuff. Um, when my wife and I got married, she like bought me this nice little ring and it was like titanium and it had my initials on. And, and I would like to tell you guys that like I lift weights and so I take it off to like do curls because I don't want it to get scratched up. I don't. I literally don't lift weights. I drink water and eat a lot of Oreos. But it's, um, and so at some point, I don't remember what I did. I think I just went swimming and it like fell off. And then my wife was like, it's okay, babe. There's so much grace in our family for you. Like you lost the ring that I worked four shifts to get, but I'll buy you a new one. So she went and got the new one and had it initialed again. And she was like, oh, here's another. It's like picture of craze. Like you kind of lost the last one, but here's another one. And I lost that one too. And, uh, and so, so now the third one, she gave me like an Amazon number. This is like a $2. This is what we're working with. Like this is our covenant promise right here. Like this flimsy little rubbery ring. Like that's what we're working with, okay? Um, because I lose stuff, right? Like I don't know if you guys have the gift of losing stuff. One point, I literally lost one of my children. Um, my wife sent me out of the house. She's like, oh, you can, would you go get the kids? Like it would just really save me some time because I want to get a meal going. I'm like, oh, I'd love to go get the kids, honey. And then I came home with only a couple of our kids, not the other two. And I was like, you know what? I didn't like those two anyways. And she's like, you're going to need to go back and get those other two. So, um, so I don't know. I mean, it happens, okay? It happens. You guys, I found that line. Like, I'm never getting invited back. Like, that was the moment where they're like, yeah, I was a little worried. Now he's not coming back. Okay, so um, all that to say is, like, I lose stuff. You know what I love about our God is he doesn't lose anyone. Like, he's the good shepherd that doesn't lose any of his sheep. And Jesus says, I'm not losing anyone. Now, how can Jesus make that? Like, what, what that means is that regardless of your performance for God, your position doesn't change. Do you get that? Like you didn't do anything to get your way in other than to believe in what Christ has done for you. And so you're not going to lose your right standing with God based on your behaviors this week. It's all predicated on what Christ has done. He's not gonna lose you. You haven't earned your way in, you're not gonna fall your way out. And that's awesome. Because if I could fall my way out, I would've. I would've. This is incredible promise of the gospel. Your position this week is not predicated on your performance. It was predicated on the performance of someone else. And then he says, I will raise you on this last day. This week I did two funerals. Next week I'm going to do another one. I recently did one for an 87-year-old hold his hand in his finals weeks. And he said, Chris, I just want to tell you, it just goes really fast. It just goes really, really fast. And, um, you know, I'm like 40 years old now. Um, and it feels like yesterday I was the 18-year-old moving into college. And I'm going to blink, and I'll be the 60-year-old retiring. And I'll blink again, and I'll get a diagnosis, and my time here will be over. And you know, for the Christian, you might think, like, man, this hope is for somebody else. i got a grandma who needs this promise. You need this promise. You will blink and need this promise. And what this tells us is that Jesus Christ is the one who defeated death. He is the resurrection and the life. He's the one who canceled his own funeral. And he's promised that he's the first fruits of the resurrection, so he can actually raise you on your final day. That's awesome. This is our God. From beginning to end, he is a faithful God. For the foundations of the world, he called you, 
He sought you, he saved you, he's sanctifying you, and he will call you into glory. This is our God. This is our faithful bread of life. Amen? So City Light, what do I want to do right now with our time? Um, Let me close with this. I simply want to say two things. If you're here today, would you be honest before God about where you're at? Um, I just know there's some of you guys that have been laboring hard in the fall. You're living as missionaries on campus, and you've been trying to help everybody else eat their meal. I just want to say, would you come and be hungry today? Wherever you're at, maybe you're going through pain, suffering, doubt, trials, heartache, sadness. Wherever you're at, would you come and say, God, I'm hungry, and I'm thirsty, and I need you. There's some of you that might need to take it a level further and say, I've been trying to fill my hunger with the things of this world, and I need to repent of my sin because I've been looking at the wrong things and eating the wrong things and looking for life in the wrong things. And Jesus Christ, I want to repent of that and find life uniquely in you. Would you be the bread of life that I'm looking for and longing for? Second, I want to give you guys a horizontal application for the people around you. I don't know if you've ever had this observation where you find people around you really annoying, okay? Some of you guys are looking at your roommate right now. Like, yes, I know that feeling completely. I do. And I'm with my dad. And, um, right? So I don't know if that's been an application you have, but what do you do with that? Like, what do you do with the person who always wants to talk to you about the upcoming election that's like literally two years away, but they're like already focused on it, right? Or the person who just always wants to talk to you about college football or always seems drunk, always seems angry, um, always seems sad. What do you do with that person, right? I just want to let you know, would you put on this lens? Man, if we're all just sojourners walking through a falling, messy world, trying to get to a table of grace, you know what they are? They're just hungry. And they're tired of eating the wrong meal, and they're trying to figure out where to find life. Would we have compassion, and would we point them to the bread of life? Let me pray.